today on Abounding Grace. Even today, you may examine your life and see foolishness. You see the foolishness of who you are and where you are. You see the folly of your life, the folly of your decisions. You're the perfect candidate through your surrendered obedience to be used by God. You're the perfect candidate. This is amazing grace. Does this thought come to mind when you think of someone in your family or in your circle of friends? Oh, he or she will never become a Christian. Today on Abounding Grace, we discover an encouraging truth. No one is beyond the reach of God. Need some proof? Well, consider with us Saul and King Nebuchadnezzar. Both appeared to be unreachable, as far away from God as a person could get. And yet the Lord reached them. Let's join Pastor Ed Taylor for all the details. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Daniel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 9? Daniel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 9 in a Bible study that I've entitled, No One is Beyond the Reach of God. In chapter 2, we met this man by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. And one of the things that we learned about Nebuchadnezzar is that he's a very angry man. He is a man filled with rage. And he has absolute control. And as, as it's been said, absolute power has a tendency to corrupt absolutely. And so it only makes his anger issue greater. Where he, at, the, at the flip of a switch, at the snap of a finger, he can call upon death in someone's life. And he's an angry man. Notice in verse 1, of Daniel chapter 2, it says, One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. And as they stood before the king, he said, I've had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king! Tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you'll be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be burned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I'll give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. Now here is this man behind many doors, surrounded by security, a man of great stature, a man of great prestige, as far away from God as a person could be. Not only is he far away from God, but he has no desire for God because he sees no need for God. Not only is he in that position, but he's also a very angry man, caught up in himself, self-centered, self-righteous. He would be a man that we could easily dictate and conclude that he's unreachable. I mean, after all, who's going to go in and talk to Nebuchadnezzar? Who's going to have the, the boldness and the courage? Let alone, if you have the boldness and the courage, who's going to have the access? At this time, 
There are many people that have been kidnapped and taken captive and brought back, but they're afraid for their lives. Who would have access? And yet there is a divine setup of bringing Daniel right very into his presence, right into the very presence. I mean, Daniel's going to be so close to Nebuchadnezzar, he'll be able to smell his breath and feel the warmth off of his skin. He's going to be that close. Why? Because no one is unreachable. And I wonder today, if you have anyone in your life right now, when you think of them, you think there's no way they will never believe in Jesus Christ. They are unreachable. Now, I'm sure there's a little tension in your life when it comes to that because it's not that you want to think that way, but their life is so messed up and so damaged. Their hearts are so hard. They're so critical. They're so anti-God. And the bottom line, really, when you know them, you work with them, they're a family member, they're your neighbor, whoever it might be, the bottom line is this. It would take a miracle for them to get saved, which is exactly what God does anytime he saves someone. But we write them off. I wonder who's listening to me today that have been written off yourself. Whether it was your, you looking at your own life and going, you know, this is the best it's going to get. I might as well just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow I die. And you just threw yourself into sinful, riotous living. Or those that were around you. I can think of many people of testimony after testimony in our own little fellowship here that they were written off completely. Like there, there was literally no hope for their lives. And yet, Jesus entered in. Because no one is beyond the reach of God. No one. Not one person. Just say that with me. No one. Say it. No one. Believe it. No one's beyond God's reach. No one. While we might write someone off, God doesn't write them off. Truly, sometimes the people that we think are far away are actually a lot closer than we think. It's those that have a tendency to be the most disruptive, the most resistant, the arguers, the ones that are responding in violent ways to the gospel are actually the closest. As we've been inviting people to church, they say no. As we ask somebody to tune in the radio, they say no. You know, isn't that that familiar response is, hey, I'm glad you found Jesus. You needed him. And they look at your life and go, oh yeah, you needed him. And then there are those guys at work that are always making fun of you. I remember the first time somebody called me Bible boy. I was walking out to my car with my big Bible in my hand, going home from work, and there was a guy coming in from the other side, and we're walking in the parking lot. I said, hey, Bible boy, and he knocked the Bible out of my hands. And had I not been saved, we would have thrown down right in the parking lot of work. Right there, that's the kind of guy I was, and that's the kind of guy he was. But I picked up my Bible, got in my car, and I started yelling in the car, but I was still, I was still mad, but I didn't fight. I was still a new believer, but Bible boy, with all the responses, you know, they may be coming closer to the Lord than you know. Sometimes those that protest the most and argue the most and put up the biggest defense are actually the closest to the kingdom of God. We're going to learn that in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, but I want to introduce you to another angry man today by the name of Saul. Would you turn over to Acts chapter 9 with me? Acts chapter 9, another man with another anger issue, and yet this man was so far from God that he thought he was close to God. Now we have a word for that. We, we call that self-deceived, where you can be caught up in religious expression, you can be caught up in a form of religion, 
You can be doing things that you believe honor God, and in reality, you're as far away from God as an unbeliever. And that's where Saul of Tarsus was. He was an angry man who covered up his sinful behavior with religion. And even as you may have fallen into that category of people that thought that you would never amount to anything, a drain on society, a pain in your family, a strain in your neighborhood, now you have a testimony of how God picked you up out of the miry clay and put your feet upon a rock. And it's interesting to me in the family of churches that we're a part of, known as Calvary Chapel, that many of those pastors that have been given the privilege of overseeing churches within Calvary Chapel come from a very hard, difficult background, myself included. In that very first generation, uh, they wrote a book to introduce us to some of the men that got radically changed during the Jesus movement in the late 60s and 70s. And on the title, the subtitle, the book is called Harvest. Uh, My pastor, Jeff Johnson, his story is in there. And the subtitle of the book says this, and I quote, gang members, drug addicts, mental patients, society's rejects. Chuck Smith's amazing story of Calvary Chapel and the unlikely leaders that God called. And you know, God is not done calling the unlikely men and women to serve and to lead in his church. Like he is not done. There wasn't just a a little capsule of time where God was calling people out of the world so that the testimony of their lives would speak greatly to the grace of God. He's still doing that work. The thing is, we don't know what God's going to do with that person that we invite to church. We don't know what God's going to do when we give that Bible to someone. We don't know what God's going to do when we pray for someone, but we'll never know until we reach out. It's true, we don't know, but we'll never know if we don't open ourselves to be used by God. Jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You may be familiar with that passage as God choosing the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's still choosing foolish things. Even today, you may examine your life and see foolishness. You see the foolishness of who you are and where you are. You see the folly of your life, the folly of your decisions. You're the perfect candidate through your surrendered obedience to be used by God. You're the perfect candidate. Another thing my pastor taught me over the years is that when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that got hit is the one that yelped. And today I want to introduce you to a man that yelped because he got hit by the grace of God. Now somebody, I posted this one, I posted this phrase on social media recently and I got this personal message, why would you ever throw a rock into a pack of dogs? I'm like, serious bro, it's a proverb, man. I would never throw a a rock into a pack of dogs. A pack of cats, maybe, but not dogs. (laughs) I posted something about cats and I got a lot of grief for that too. Stop it. Verse one, chapter nine. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now, is that a man you would want to share the gospel with? (laughs) 
He is breathing in and out threats and murder. He's asked permission from the religious leaders of the day to go to the city of Damascus and literally destroy lives, arresting people. We know later in his testimony, he even would go to the length of killing people. He would go to the length of destroying lives for what he believed was his religious zeal. And so here's the powerful, the famous, the infamous Saul of Tarsus. He was Roman. He was a citizen of Roman descent, educated by the Greeks, and he learned Roman law and Greek philosophy. He was also Jewish, and so he was raised with a strong religious foundation. And he decided to become what was known as a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a hyper-conservative man dedicated to the Scriptures. They, they would be today what we might refer to as a fundamentalist. They would fight the, for the authority of the Scriptures. And they started out so well. Saul of Tarsus is exhibit one of someone that will never get saved if it was up to us. You, you think how you would avoid a man like this. Isn't that what you do with angry people? You avoid angry people. It's not that you're seeking out, I'm going to find the most angry, crazy, wicked person, and I'm going to share the gospel with them. No, you're like, man, I do not want to deal with an angry man or a woman right now, let alone someone that's bent on annihilation and destruction. Literally, he's inhaling and exhaling hatred and threats. As we come to verse 1, it says, he was uttering threats with every breath. It speaks of his lifestyle, his mannerism. His whole life was consumed with destruction. You could literally feel it in his presence and see it in his face. Something snapped in this man as you study through the book of Acts. I believe as he witnessed the solid, valid testimony of Stephen, as he witnessed the amazing testimony of a man dedicated to God, he was shaken in his own beliefs and became a crazed madman. Later on in Acts chapter 26, verse 11, it would say, many times, Paul's speaking of his testimony after he got saved, many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Can you imagine the scene that day? Can you imagine, can you imagine if we got word that Saul of Tarsus came to Denver? And we would have our prayer meetings. We would, okay, we have a, you know, who wants give 10? And a brother stands up and stops me. I'll do the give 10. Well, let's pray for Saul. And can you imagine some of the, probably two out of the three points would be, take him out. Take him out. He's destroying lives. Uh, maybe someone would be very spiritual and say, we're going to pray the Psalms for Saul. Break his teeth. Wipe him out. And then there would be that soft spirit that would speak into a room like that and go, no, let's pray for his salvation. And everyone would go, okay. Let's pray for his salvation, all right. And as you would pray, one side of your mouth for salvation, the other side to take him out. I mean, you have to put yourself inside the story in your own life. What if Saul was going after your family? What if he had your address? I mean, Saul, the way he's acting today, we would refer to as a terrorist. He was out of his, out of his mind and yet fully convinced that he was doing God a service. He's not content with the death of Stephen. He's willing to travel 200 miles to the city of Damascus, a city that happened to be filled with Christians. And you know, on the way to Damascus, if he, depending on what road he took, he would have gone through the city of Samaria, which was experiencing a very large Christian revival, but it would also inflame his anger and make him even more committed. I like this, if you noticed 
in the second verse, it says that they're referred to as followers of the way. Isn't that a great way to describe those that follow Jesus Christ? We follow the way. Isn't that how Jesus described himself? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a way. He's not one of many ways. Jesus is the very way. Are you looking for direction in your life today? Are you looking for answers to the questions that you're facing? Are you looking for a way out? Are you looking for a way in? Are you looking for the way? Well, you've come into the company of followers of the way, the way of life, the way of hope, the way of strength, and most importantly, the way of salvation. All throughout the book of Acts, we have this, the early Christians, the early believers, the early followers in Jesus being called followers of the way. You can jot it down in chapter 19, verses 9, verse 23, chapter 22, verse 4, chapter 24, verses 14, and verse 22. They're not called Christians yet. They are followers of the way. Notice now verse 3. Speaking of Saul, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven, and just if you like to write in your Bibles or circle them, uh, even if you have it from the Pew Bible, write in it, I don't care. Circle the word suddenly. And let me tell you something, God can work very fast in your life. Can anybody say amen to that? Have you noticed that in your life? God can work suddenly. I know you've been waiting for years, and I know you've been wondering for months, and I know you've been interceding for what seems like eternity, and I want you to know that God can work suddenly. He can work fast. He can work immediately. Don't give up. Don't give up on trusting God, because suddenly all of life and humanity is going to be changed. Suddenly. I mean, this guy's on his way. I mean, you can think with every breath, he's thinking and he's processing, how am I going to destroy them? Where am I going to find them? Who's going to help me? This is my will. This is, this is God's will for my life to do such great destruction. And suddenly, there's this light that shines down around him. And immediately, it says, verse 4, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. And while he's on the way, this light shines around him. When he was giving this testimony later in the book of Acts chapter 26, he told King Agrippa that the light was brighter than the sun. This is an overwhelming light. It stops him dead in his tracks. And while he stopped, he hears a voice. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, again, you want to mark in your Bibles, me. This voice from heaven Jesus speaking to Saul, he has a question for him. And the question was, why are you persecuting me? I love this about our relationship with Jesus Christ. It gives us a lot of insight that you're not involved in some religious expression. At least I hope you're not. I mean, you could be in a church service and, and you could be very religious today, but I hope you get out of this religious, repetitive life and you enter into what's a real relationship with God who loves you because we learn something about this relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is Jesus personally identifies with his church. There's a personal identification that he says here that as Saul has taken to persecuting people and hurting people, and hurting fellow believers, from heaven's perspective, an attack on you is an attack on Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a pretty powerful thing. 
Do you know, there are on occasion in our lives where we have relationships where an attack, like, like a mom, a mom and a dad. You know, moms and dads, they take very personally anything that happens to their kids. Is that, is anyone amen that? I mean, that's pretty serious. Like, like anything that happens to our kids, I take it personally. Those are my kids. Uh, from a husband or a wife, a spouse, something happens to a spouse, it's automatically, you, you, you mess with my wife, you mess with me. That, that's my wife. Those are my kids. You extend that in some of the relationships that we have, some of the friendships that we gain in the body of Christ, where we take it personally when a brother or a sister is attacked. Where a prayer request goes out for a missionary couple in our church, in our heart. Why is it that our heart aches for them? Why is it that we can say, and I can text them, my heart is hurting for you. Why? Because it happened to them. It's like it happened to me. My heart breaks for them. And what they're facing. And the pain that was in the room. And the pain that's in the family. The longer I'm around the hurting and the sick and the dying and the difficult situations, the more and more I'm coming to appreciate the shortest verse in the Bible, in the English, Jesus wept. He's keenly in tune with you, and he loves you. He identifies with you. When Jesus views his church, he sees himself in it. You're hurt, he hurts. A deep spiritual connection between you and Jesus. As Jesus is the head of the church, he personally is pained by the hurt in his flock. It's like the body, you know, the human body. We're up late at night. We're going downstairs to the kitchen to get a cup of water. It's really dark in the house, and we stub our toe really, really bad on the edge of the couch. And we hold it in so we don't wake anyone else up, but our toe is throbbing. And yet when you stub your big toe, what's hurting? Your whole body. I mean, it just shoots pain through the whole body. And that's how it is with Jesus in a deeper way. And I, I, wonder, I wonder at this moment in Saul's life as he stopped in his tracks, I wonder if he was a little afraid to ask the question that he's going to ask in a moment. I wonder if he's afraid in verse 5 to ask this question, Who are you, Lord? Who are you? I believe that sometime in everyone's life they're going to ask that question. We learn from God as he shares with us in the Bible that he has created man and put eternity into our hearts. Everyone walking on earth today, everyone that's born tomorrow, everyone that's going to be alive hearing my voice has this sense that there's something bigger than themselves. Not everyone puts their finger on it toward the God, the creator God. Not everyone puts their finger on it as the God who loves us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. But everyone deals with this issue of feeling like they are part of something bigger. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com sometime today if you'd like a replay, or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora and download that today. We've been blessed in recent months by the large volume of people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We are so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really do want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that's inspirational, to put it mildly. It's Standing in the Fire by Tom Doyle. 
There is no doubt we live in a dangerous world with a virus that's hard to contain, civil unrest, and people doing harm to others. It would be easy for us to be paralyzed by fear, but there's another way to go, and that is to stand courageously. This book will encourage you to be courageous and realize you're a victor in Christ. Request a copy of Standing in the Fire when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio and Internet. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also want to tell you about our live stream here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Simply log on to calvaryco.church and look for our online campus. You can then look over our schedule and start streaming. You can also watch our services on YouTube. Subscribe to the free channel at Calvary Church with Ed Taylor. Well, we'll put a bookmark where we left off today in Daniel and join us next time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor as there is so much more to come. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.